Hi, my name is John Gonzalez, and welcome to the Fitness Oracle. Before we get into today's episode, I want to tell you about the secret of how to drop 10 to 15 pounds and keep it off with complete ease. I've created a free three-part video series for you that explains what the three biggest mistakes people make when they're working out and limits them to the results that they're going after. I am also going to help you get all the details about how you can immediately sign up to the 21-Day Caveman Challenge, which is a do-it-for-you workout program. This has been developed by me for over 11 years of my experience as a professional personal trainer. So go ahead, put in your name and your primary email address, click the link in the show notes below right now, and we'll see you on the inside. conversations with real people just like you with real stories just like yours and this is one of their stories i am your host john katsavos my guest today is sammy mustafa from pinnacle health and nutrition he is a certified health and nutrition counselor having a positive impact on people and helping them achieve their goals has been a genuine passion for sammy and having the opportunity to do this for the past 20 years working with the most significant nutrition and pharmaceutical corporations in the world has provided him with excellent results and experience. Sammy continues to find ways of driving nutrition solutions to vast array of clients who want to lose weight, improve their lifestyle and become better versions of themselves. One of the most enthusiastic people you will ever meet He has developed incredible coaching skills throughout the years and always interested in meeting with people. He utilizes his knowledge, his skill set, and his experience to help them overcome their challenges and to get to where they want to be. Sammy, welcome to the show. Thank you, John. Thank you. Welcome. (laughs) Happy to be with you. Yeah. It's a pleasure to have you on here. It's uh, it's been a. It's I think it, I think you're the first health nutritionist that I've had on the show. So this is actually a warm welcome for you. Wow, it is my pleasure. <laughs> well, thank you. I hope uh, uh, I will add some value to you and uh, those people who listen to you. I have no doubt you will. Uh, you actually went to bargaining. Uh, Earlier this week, there was a lot of snow out in London, Ontario. How, how was that? It was fun. It was really good. Um, I'm, I'm lucky. I have a seven-year-old daughter who always keep me busy and keep me engaged with uh, a lot of outdoor activities, I would say. With the lockdown that we have in here, everyone just tend to uh, sit behind his computer or cell phone or tablet and... Uh, well, if you have a seven years old daughter or a kid in your place, you probably want to keep them engaged with outdoor activities. So that's her favorite. So we go together. It was family day. I enjoyed it with my daughter and my wife and other couple of, couple of people who she know with their daughters. <laughs> 
And that's, uh, that was fun. Really enjoyed it. Awesome. Uh, glad, you, glad you enjoyed it. Uh, I also went out with uh, my nephews uh, tobogganing too on family day. So it's, uh, it's been a while since I've done it. Yeah. Uh, in a recent Facebook video, you actually came, uh, you actually spoke about a, a diet that's near and dear to my heart, uh, the ketogenic diet. Okay. Uh, do you think that this is a one size fits all diet? Well, to be completely honest, um, the ketogenic diet offers really good value for those people who are, number one, really good in metabolizing fat. So if it happened and you have good fat genes or good genes to digest fat, then I guess the ketogenic diet would be a really good one for you. Also, for those people who have some sort of, um, I would say, they need help from a cognitive function point of view, then the ketogenic diet would be one of the best diet that would be recommended for them. So I really love it. I do it when my lifestyle would make the ketogenic, the ketogenic diet is a perfect fit for me, and this is simply when I do Ramadan because I fast and I do dry fast during Ramadan from the sun uh, rise to the sunset. And that would get me a window of minimum 16 hours of dry fast. So ketogenic diet really works very well with fasting. So that's, that's when I do it. Mm -hmm. But overall, yeah, I recommend it for those people who um, do dry fast and they have good genes to digest fat. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, I love I love ketogenic. I love paleo. I love uh, raw. The, the the what is it? The carnivore diet. I, I love all the all the heavy meat stuff. It's, it's <laughs> I love it. <laughs> well, for me, I I look at it from a nutritionist kind of standpoint as tools that we have to actually work with your system and to help you continue losing weight. Because one of the things that you probably would notice if you remain on a certain diet, that I call it efficiency, because usually within two to three weeks, your system will learn what you are doing. And our systems are designed not to lose weight and are designed to actually keep your health up and running with anything you're giving to that system. So your system is always an a mission of understanding what you're doing and how can I get the maximum benefit out of what you are doing for your system. So if you are in a diet that is high in fat and low in carbs and your system understand this is the only way for you from a from a nutrition perspective. So your system will get better in utilizing fat and using fat as the only source of energy. And that's the same with any other type of types of diet. So if I'm using, let's say, a diet that is high in carbs and low in fat, my system will understand this within two to three weeks and will increase its efficiency to get the maximum benefit out of it. So we use those different types of diet 
you continue losing weight. So I'm, I keep checking your system. I put you on a ketogenic diet within two or three weeks, then I'll shift you a little bit. So your system doesn't really understand what is going on. And I use that window of efficiency, I call it efficiency window, to keep you losing weight. But generally speaking, in my opinion, this is my feedback. It's all about your lifestyle. So if the diet that you are on is something that you are enjoying and you feel you're happy and healthy with it, and you can incorporate it in your daily habit as if it is you, then that would be my recommendation. Whether if it's keto or something else, as long as you're happy with it, your system is enjoying it, and you feel good when you're doing it, and it is convenient for you, it fits your lifestyle, then you're good to go. That's awesome. Uh, you yourself have had quite the transformation. What was the trigger for you to make that change? <laughs> well, thank you for this question. I really appreciate it. Well, the trigger was I hit the rock bottom. That was the trigger. <laughs> I, was in a, I was in a very hard situation, I would say. I was pre-diabetic. I had hyperlipidemia, like high cholesterol and high bad fat, the low, uh, the LDL, and um, definitely low of the HDL, the good fat. And um, I have bad fat genes as well. So I cannot digest fat like others. The, the gene that digests uh, your fat, they call it gene E. And we have, or there is four different types of gene E, E1, E2, E3, and E4. E4, if you are an E4, then you will have a bit hard time digesting fat. If you are E1, you are a fat burning machine and you just go McDonald's and get this uh, fatty food and you have no problem with it. I'm, I'm E3, so I'm one of those low guys. <laughs> So I better be careful. So let's say you are an E1 and, and I'm, I'm an E3 and we're going out for a, a, a heavy keto meal, I would say. Uh, probably I'm going to have a little bit hard time uh, digesting it and you could just super easy, fast digesting it with no problems. So <clears throat> I wanted really uh, to find a program that would help me, will help me with all my challenges. I, I cannot consume a lot of fat. I already have... Uh, bad fat genes and bad fat uh, blood work. <laughs> and um, I'm a pre-diabetic, morbidly obese, and I was under a lot of stress. So um, it, for me, the trigger was being on medication at the highest dose, um, no control of my health situation. And I was super close to become a diabetic. And I know if I became a diabetic, it's going to be hard. So that's, that was the reason why I, I want to say, I'd say, you know what, it just, uh, if you did not do it right now, you probably won't be able to do it. So I worked hard on myself and I succeeded. That's awesome. And we're going to go into uh, the pre-diabetics and everything because it's actually rampant in my genetic, my family, let's just say my family, but we'll get into that a little bit later on. Um, uh, do you find that mindset is a major factor when you're dealing with a person who's in weight loss? Because over my past experience as a personal trainer, 
if uh, if the guy or the gal are, is trying to lose weight and they want to put it, they want to lose the weight and they're not in the proper mindset, for me, it's pretty much forget it. It's it's, it's better to be bashing your head up against the uh, center a center wall. What are your thoughts on that? Um, you're absolutely correct, and I totally agree with you. Mindset is crucial. It is important. But I always remember when it comes to mindset, my management training, and that was way back when I was in a managerial position back home, we always had back there that management is a talent. You, could be, you have to be talented to become a better manager. And at that time, the science was emerging new ideas where, no, you do not need to be talented to be a good manager. You can get training, you can be consistent in your training and see what the areas that you want to excel at as a good manager. And you probably could be a, a, an even better than those guys who are talented. And I, uh, this, and another example is if you love, let's say, uh, a, a soccer, swimming, or, and you're talented in soccer, and you could just get the ball and do those nice things like any others, but you're not training yourself, you're not in a good coaching program, then you probably, this is either going to fade away or you're not going to be at top of your, of your game. So my conclusion is, yes, the mindset is absolutely important. But you need to have the decision and you need to be committed. And because we have those two different minds, the conscious mind and the subconscious mind, and the subconscious mind is the habitual mind, which is, yeah, let's just make it tomorrow. We do not need to do it right now. Well, we're not going to die tomorrow and all these things. That will make it harder. And in my example, when I hit the rock bottom, I shifted it right away. So the emotion was high and the stress was super high and it was enough to cause a permanent change in my mindset. So it will be easier for me to get someone with a really good mindset to keep working on it. But if I get a customer who really want to lose weight, I need to consider working on improving his mindset in my program. And that's by changing his subconscious mind, teaching him using the conscious mind to change his own subconscious mind and get his mindset up and running. So you are completely correct. If I have someone with the, with the right mindset, that is a very good recipe for success. And it will be harder if you do not have that, yes. Let's say someone does come to you and they, they want to, they want to lose the weight, but they don't want to commit to it. What is one tool that you would pull out of your pocket right away to help them change that? Well, I would work with this person to change his mindset first. It doesn't make any sense for me to give you a meal plan, ask you to follow it and tell you when you follow this meal plan, you would lose your weight if you're not ready to be committed to it. So I would rather to work on your mindset, ask you questions so you identify what is your real problem is and you believe this is something that you really want to change and you're simply wasting time and you need to make a decision. And once we reach to that level of commitment, 
then we are in a gate shape together to continue working together. So here is my feedback for that person who who who's saying, <clears throat> yeah, you know what? I really want to lose weight, but I don't think I want to do it right now. My question would be, okay, do you think you are obese or overweight? Or you're morbidly obese? What is your body mass index? That would be my question right away, which is simply, I call it a reality check. And most people doesn't really know what their body mass, body mass index is, whether if these guys are morbidly obese or obese or overweight or in the normal range. Maybe they are freaked out because they're gaining weight, but they're yet in the normal range. So they shouldn't be panicked. And mostly the answer would be, I don't know. And then when we run this exercise together, they feel, oh, okay, it seems like I'm hurting myself and not knowing. Then again, I'm working on giving him enough information so they can make a smarter decision for themselves. Once they get the information that will teach them where they are, it will be easier for them to work on improving their mindset and to jump on something that is really beneficial for their health. So well, we all are adults. We all understand what we really want, but we all are lazy as well. And, and, and what would make me not lazy if I understand that my, my situation is not, is, is need someone to take a quick action than the pace you are at. And simply, if you learn that and we figured this together, then that will be an easy task. It's awesome. I love it. I think that's great. Um, Thank you. We're going to shift gears a little bit. We're going to talk into something that's, uh, you actually put it in, in, in the questionnaire and I'm like, oh yes. Like I said, like these two next topics are very near and dear to me because uh, I've had two grandparents that died from diabetes and um, high blood pressure and all that, you know, quote unquote fun stuff that comes with uh, not being able to regulate your sugar. Now, my questions for the sugar, because this is really a fight that we have with sugar, is what is the biggest thing that you have seen where people fail when, it's, when it comes to fighting sugar? I would say the biggest thing of fighting sugar, in my opinion, is the love for the sugar and understanding that it is almost impossible to leave it. So when you love something and you know it is not good for you, but you know you're not ready to leave it, you will wait till you reach to that point where I cannot use it anymore. I it is what it is which is a really pain-associated decision. It shouldn't be this way. We should be able to live like normal. And the moment you think you will be not normal by giving away the things that you love, automatically you set yourself up to reject it and to delay it and to postpone it and to wait to the last moment then you will make the change that you do not like. So, and that was typically in my situation because, well, if we love sugar, 
and we consume it, this is probably why we're having this problem with, with our insulin, right? Then I'm okay with keto, you know, if I love fat and okay, that's a good alternative. So, so now we're, if you are introducing keto for me as an, as a, as an option that I, uh, I'm, I'm okay with as an alternative. So if I'm asking you right now, John, would you rather to sit with me um, face to face or we have to wait until the lockdown is over? You're going to say, uh, let's just do Zoom. So, okay, let's just do Zoom. It will get the job done. It's better than not seeing each other for longer time, right? So it's a good, okay alternative. But with those sugar lovers, you need to give them some something close, like a Zoom, you know? You cannot tell them, you know what? We just, let's just wait. It's just, it's just going to be harder on them. So I wanted to introduce something that you will see, huh, okay, you have a sweet tooth and you need to consider this is not a bad thing. And if you learned that the word blood sugar means blood glucose, then you could think of it and, okay, what can I do to not hurt myself, spiking my blood glucose, but yet I can consume sugar. That would sound like a, a good alternative option, you know? Yes, going right away to fat or to keto, let's say if this person have a good genes for fat, might be the fastest, the, um, the, the quite uh, uh, reactive way to stop this sugar spikes, right? But if I can tell you the fruit sugar is fructose and fructose is gonna go digested right away in your liver and it will not spike your blood glucose levels um, because it is fructose, it is not glucose. And your brain would analyze your level of glucose. So I have this computer in here, keep analyzing my blood 24 seven. And once the blood glucose goes up, I will send my message to the pancreas, tell this pancreas, I wanna get some insulin because this insulin need to get this sugar or glucose in my blood into my tissues because I wanna make sure that your blood glucose is with the normal range. Okay, so if I do not wanna get that circle started, you probably better do not consume direct glucose into your system. Then fruit would be the best alternative solution in my opinion, absolutely the best. In my situation, I had no option because fat digestion for me was bad too. So I was like, okay, I cannot go to keto <laughs> and I need to stop sugar. So probably I need to stop eating, you know? But when you figure that fruit will have a lot of fibers, a lot of phytochemicals, a lot of health benefits, vitamins and minerals, and also fructose, and it is not going to spike your blood glucose within two hours, similar to any starchy food that will do that because it will be converted into glucose right away going into your bloodstream. So the only thing I need to forget in my meal plans is to use this food that will spike my blood glucose, like bread, like the starchy things. Once you take this out of your diet, 
you can continue using fruit and eat fruit. That's one. Number two is quantity. If you are obese, you've got a big digestive system, I would say. And this digestive system will tell you if you are full or not full yet. And there are two mechanisms to do that. The fastest is the physical reaction, which is, yeah, I'm full, I ate a lot, and then I expanded my digestive system and I get very fast response to your brain, stop this guy from eating, I'm done. So what can I do for that size I have created throughout the years to get that size filled without having a lot of calories. So this is an easy math. If you would go with blueberry pie, you will get probably 300 or maybe 390 calories out of it. If you're gonna go with probably two pounds of blueberries, you will get probably equal amount of calories. If you're asking someone, go consume a pound of blueberries, if they will tell you that's too much, are you gonna kill me? What that give me as an option is I can, if I'm hungry, I can go more for blueberries, you know, and without feeling problem and fill my big tummy and feel okay with it. Does that answer your question? Oh yeah, absolutely. It's uh, trying to substitute the proper trying to substitute the, 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 the type of sugar that you're consuming. Because I have heard in the past when I was actually really learning nutrition, um, sugar is the equivalent of cocaine. Yep. When it comes to how addictive it really is. And when I'm talking about sugar, I'm talking about like uh, the, the manufactured sugar that we eat. Yep. How much, how addictive or how close to something like cocaine is sugar, in your opinion? In my opinion, it is more addictive than cocaine uh, because it is available and availability is the biggest thing. The more convenient the food you're eating, the easy access to it, the cheapest, the cheap the access to it the more addictive it is, in my opinion. This is why when someone is addicted, the best solution for that person, I'm talking drug addiction right now, is to put him in a facility that would help him to actually take this chemical away from his system and back to normal and to stop that craving for the addictive substance. The reason why it is better if you are sitting in a facility just because the access to it is going to be hard. When you live in a normal life and you know where to go to get it, then you still have access to it. Is it easy? Not necessarily. You have to have money. Probably you need to pay for it more than sugar. And you need to be careful when you do it because you know you're doing something that is illegal and all these things. That's why the access to it is harder. That's why not a lot of people are addicted to cocaine. But sugar, the access to it, 
Oh my God, it is in your fridge. So to get rid of it is not an easy task. And there's no facility to put yourself in there so you can get rid of this addiction. You have to do it yourself. And that what would make it harder. And this is why I feel addiction to sugar is really hard. It's a commitment. It's something that you, I need to put in my affirmation every day. And that will be the reason that I can keep myself committed throughout the years, not falling into the sugar addiction. It is real, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. What's the one tip that you could give someone to help them kick sugar? Off? Completely off. Well, cutting sugar off is next to near impossible. I mean, even I have trouble get kicking sugar. Like, come, let, let's let's face it. Like, who doesn't like a nice little sweet once in a while, right? But if somebody's so addicted to, like, let's say, like some sweets, what kind? What tip could you give them to say, you know what? We're going to do X, Y, and Z, so you don't consume that many sweets so you can save your life pretty much because that's what it is. John, um, I really thank you for this question. I think it is really important for us to understand it's all in our head and it's also all in our gut. So affirmation for me is a very successful way of doing it. When you keep reminding yourself every single day of the things that you need to avoid and being grateful that you're not doing it, let's say right now, if you succeeded not to do it, then you keep reminding yourself that this is bad, which is exactly, John, when you know something is not good for you and you make a conscious decision that you're not going to do it. And you keep reminding yourself with the things that you will experience when you do it. That's one. The second thing is, John, the good news is you can do it once in a while, as long as you are consciously aware that you're doing it. And it is like any addiction. When you do not consume it in a consistent way, the addictive part is not going to get built up which is okay for you right now based on that little information that maybe once in a while it's not bad. It's okay, you know? It's not gonna kick that addictive part um, in, in motion. But what you really wanna do is to remind yourself every day with the addiction and to listen to your system. I know this is a harder part, but if you really developed this skill of listening to your system, you would notice it right away. The day I do not have a lot of veggies in my system, I feel it in my brain. I really do. And the chemistry is completely different. And the easy way to understand this is your gut microflora. If you're looking at your system and your cells, you would notice that we 75% of our cells are not human cells. Which means for your immune system to not trigger any immune response, then you will, 
you'll feel inflammation and sickness and all these things. These cells need to live in harmony. And if you're, if you are in control, because well, if 57 of our cells are not human cells, but we still have the majority, so we can't decide, right? Then you simply need to make a conscious decision to make these 57% more diverse. And the more diverse they are, the healthier your system is going to be. It's simply, this is how I just describe it for normal public, which is, it's like discrimination. Who like to be discriminated? Nobody. The only way for you not to be discriminated is to have very minimal quantities of you. Because the more you become the majority, then you're taking control of others. So you need those 57% not to take control of you. And if you really want to do that, you need to keep those 57% as diverse as possible. So eat everything you can eat and be consistent in becoming diverse, which would take me to one of one of fascinated research I, I, I read. They say probably if you're going to ask a person what the food they eat for the last two weeks, you would probably figure out 80% of what this person is eating and they're not going to change it. What that means, somewhat, those 57% are controlling you and you keep going to the same food. So if you know that, and you know diversity is the solution, then you will make a conscious decision to go diverse. For me, my tip to you, if you wanna really go diverse, it's only one super easy exercise. It does not really need you to become a dietitian or a nutritionist to do it. Just write down your meal plans every week. And the goal is not to calculate calories, absolutely not. The goal is to make it diverse. Interesting, very interesting. Never heard that one before, but that's really, that really, um... That's really interesting. I think I might try that uh, next week or this week, I think. Uh, leading into the next topic, too much sugar can actually lead a person to, to become a diabetic. A lot of quote unquote professionals out there says diabetes is genetic. So, and according to them, because my grandpa, two of my grandparents passed away from both sides, from diabetes and high blood pressure, that means I'm going to, but I refuse to believe that because diabetes is a lifestyle choice and I'm going to let you explain it. And I want you to talk about how you are able to reverse pre-diabetes in people. Love it. The, the, what I really love about the comment that you just mentioned, which is really crucial, and that's why I want to start by it. I refuse to believe it is in my genes. That means I need to get it or I will get it. The moment you refuse, it's like 
visualization. I don't know if, you, if you've heard of visualization or not, uh, the law of attraction, all these things. I'm not going to get into it, but it is really true. When you put your conscious mind into refusing something people told you you will get it, you probably will succeed in what you want to achieve. Now that first part, that's what I love about the decision that you took. And this is the decision I took as well, because I do have family history of diabetes as well. Now let's just talk about genes, which is really important. So just to let you know, I do have a master's degree in endocrinology. And if, if you're asking me what the, what the two or three major topics that you loved when I was undergrad, I would tell you physiology, endocrinology, and genetics. So the first thing we learned when we were studying genetics is gene expression would require environment or it is hard to get the gene expressed. So if I have bad genes, and I do not have the good environment for this bad gene to express itself, it will not be expressed. So if I have bad genes for fat digestion, which is I do, and I put this fat gene in an environment that have a lot of fat, the gene will be significantly expressed and you will notice all the symptoms of this bad gene. But if you decided to take all the fat off your diet and you do have the bad gene, you will never ever notice that you have a bad gene. What would make you notice that you have a bad gene simply when you go to the doctor and the doctor asked for a blood work and the blood work came and the blood work tells you, oh, you have a high LDL, the low density lipoprotein and you have a low HDL you have more triglyceride and you have high cholesterol. You need to be on medication. And that's why you're gonna get this medication. The medication is not the solution. The medication will work to control the, your levels in your blood, period. It's not gonna cure you. The problem you have is your gene is suppressed right now and you need to work to take this gene out of this environment that will make this gene happy expressing itself. It's like you, if you are a, a musician, a guitar player, and you love playing guitar, and you're talented in playing guitar, but there's no guitar around, what are you gonna do? Nothing. Who gonna know that you are a good guitar player? No one. You will be similar to me walking together. I have no idea how to play guitar. You are a musician and guitar player. No one knows if you are a guitar player or not. And you can say whatever you want to say about yourself. As long as you do not have a guitar, you're not going to play. And by time, you would lose your skills. And by time, you're going to stop saying you are a guitar player. And by time, you will forget guitar and you will become like me. 
This is how I would describe it, how to actually change your genes. I'm not gonna go into the epigenetics and all these fancy nice looking names, but this is epigenetics, which is the environment that set yourself up for success or for failure. So epigenetics, people are saying it is inherited. What that means? That means if I have a history of diabetes, so the gene that I get from my parents are sharpened to play guitar or to express itself. Now, what you need to do is to change the environment and become consistent in changing your environment. So if I change my environment for the diabetes and I do not consume anything that will spike my blood glucose, then I'm changing the environment and I'm controlling this gene to express itself, but it is there. Being consistent in this environment would make you lose your skills as a guitar player, would get that gene to lose itself, its skills of becoming, impacting your blood glucose and your pancreas and all these things. So I keep becoming consistent and consistent, you're losing your skills, you're forgetting your guitar, you, this is exactly what is going to happen when you put yourself in a good environment for a longer period of time. That what make you change consciously your genes. Then when you pass it on to your kids, the, your bad genes that you got or you inherited from your parents, they're not gonna be as sharp as how you got it. And by time, if they kept that consistency, they're not gonna have a bad gene. So what you're saying is like, I'm Greek. So whenever I go back home and I eat the food, I feel alive. When I'm here and I eat Greek food, I'm like, Bleh, whatever. So basically that's what you're, what, what you're trying to say is that my genes are, ex, are being expressed back home by the quality of the food. And here where I'm not from, it's not being expressed properly. Well, this is, this is, this is a different thing, but let me, let, me, let, me, um, let me answer this one more time. If I decided not to consume a lot of fat because I have bad genes for fat, or if I decided not to consume a lot of sugary, glucosey food, because I do have bad genes for sugar, then I'm not gonna let the gene, the bad fat gene to get expressed itself, period. Well, simply if this gene needed to be expressed, I would see it in my blood work. If I'm not consuming fat, so the gene is not gonna be triggered and the doctor is looking at my blood work, he will see it normal. So if I change doctors and the doctor, the new doctor doesn't know my history and doesn't know my gene report, and I go to this new doctor and ask this new doctor to go take my blood work for my physical, the, he will look at the, the, the blood work and he say, you're normal, you're good, you've got no problem. Then when I tell him I have bad genes for fat, he say, well, I don't really care. I am, I'm not really triggered to go die, do another blood work and figure out what your genes is. That's simply how doctors usually would figure if you need to 
figure out what your gene is because you are in a situation, like in my situation, I was 31 when I was diagnosed with bad blood work for fat. And the doctor said, well, it's just not going to be with this age. I mean, uh, no, it's not just your food. You've got, you've got a problem here. That's, that's how I figured if my gene was a good gene or bad gene. If my blood work came normal with my age, nothing is going to trigger your doctor to do further investigation and figure out what your gene is. You and I know the gene for diabetes because the family history. We did not go to the doctor. We know that from the family history. And now knowing the environment is important. So if your parents used to consume a lot of carbs that will trigger your blood glucose, and this is why they get this sugar, diabetes, and they have been inheriting this throughout the years from their previous parents, then what you need to do to stop this cycle is to change the lifestyle that they used to do. If they used to have bread on breakfast and sugar in their tea or sugar in their coffee and have some desserts every time after meal, and this dessert have to have good amount of sugar in it, let's just go with croissant, let's just go with muffin, donuts, and all this sugary stuff, then you are going through the same path your parents have gone through. If you stop this by a conscious decision, so you do not have the environment that will get that gene to express itself. You can do that in Canada or anywhere. This is different than when you go eat in Greece, because when I go eat in Egypt, I feel different because I'm Egyptian. <laughs> this is something that is completely different. They call it your microbiome and your genes, they feel, oh, now you eat food, get some memories to it, and you feel okay by it. And this is exactly what we recommend here, even in Canada, because here in Canada, we import a lot of things, right? If you would ask me what you're, if, okay, now you say, okay, Sammy, you're saying fruit is good, for you, I'm gonna go consume fruit. Okay, if could you give me another advice? What kind of fruit I should eat? Then I'll tell you the more seasonal fruit do you eat, the better it is for your health. So when I go back home, we do not import a lot of things because we have a lot of things locally produced. So what that means, you're eating seasonal food, which is really healthy for your system anywhere and that's why you feel like, wow, it's, it's fantastic because you have access to locally grown food and seasonal food as well. Mm -hmm. That's, uh, I totally agree with you with that. With that. Um, we're gonna touch up a little bit on regulating your genes. Um, can you regulate the the microcosm through macro foods and how could you help somebody uh how, what's the word I'm, I'm i'm not looking for correction but how could you help somebody uh get to the proper state of where they're supposed to be with how their genes are supposed to be expressing themselves through foods <laughs> So 
let's just talk about genes in a way that is super easy because the easy it is, the, the, the better it is for us to understand and work with. Gene is like the, your genetic map. And this genetic map, let's just talk about bacteriology. For, just, just to give you an example. Now, I have an infection. I went to the doctor and the doctor wanna figure out what kind of bug that causes this infection. So they take a blood sample or they take a, a, a sample and or a swap and they send it to the lab. What's gonna happen in the lab is the lab will take the swap and, and streak it on a Petri dish and put it in an incubator. And after two or three days, whatever that number is, the bacteriologist is going, to, is going to look at this Petri dish to figure out by morphology what kind of bug it is. And that's how your doctor will get the results and figure out what kind of bug it is. Then the doctor could describe an antibiotic that is dedicated to get rid of this bug. Then you take it. And then this bug, this bug is, is not in your system anymore and you're good to go. So what would make this bug to grow in the incubator is simply you took the swap and streak it in a media, which is blood, which is the agar in this Petri dish. And you put it in a nice environment, which is the incubator so this is how this bug got grow in the lab. If you took this swap and you threw it away, this bug is gonna die. And you can, if you took that swap after two to three days, let's say for example, and you went to the lab and, and, and did the streaking part in your Petri dish, it's not gonna show on the blood, even if you put it in the incubator. So you have the bug. It was there on that swap, but you put it in an environment that made it die. And then when you put it to the lab, wanted to grow it again, it did not grow. What that means, once you put things out of the environment that will get that thing grow, it is going to die. This is how we were created. So let's just talk about genes. I have a gene consider this gene like a bug that made my system does not digest fat. So when I eat fat, I go have problems. My blood work is not going to be normal because these genes made my system does not digest fat. Okay, so your system is not capable of doing this. Then what I eat will trigger the system or not. So if I stop eating fat, this gene is not going to be triggered and all these symptoms are not going to be impacted and my blood work will be normal. This is how you change the environment. So eating different food that does not have fat is changing the environment.
So that's how simple it is. So if I want to change the environment for sugar, I do not want to eat sugar. You do not want to eat sugar. You change the environment. You do not trigger this gene from causing problems in your system. By time, things changes. What that means. Let's just go to the allergy tests. Let's say I'm allergic to peanuts. And the doctor told me, if you ate peanuts, you could go for real problems. Why by time, sometimes some people, when they go test themselves, this, they figure, oh, I'm not allergic to peanuts anymore. I can go get some. So what happened? Something have changed in their genes. When you took something out and you changed the chemistry and the structure of your system, because you've got 57% of your cells are not human cells. So by time you're changing your system, you could really change the whole system. Then you reintroduce the same thing again, one more time. And guess what? I'm not allergic to peanuts anymore. This is similar in our situation when it comes to prediabetes or to diabetes or when it comes to the, the bad fat gene. I stop or I change the environment first. This is what you really need to do first. I'm gonna stop consuming fats. I'm gonna stop having a lot of fat in my system, in my situation. And by time, when I start introducing fat again, in a very conscious, cautious way, I figured that fat does not really make a lot of problems. But yet, I wanna be very careful when I do that. So right now, when I add fat into my diet, I would rather to go to the more natural way of things. So I would go with nuts, with raw nuts, and instead of going with pure oil, I would go with olive oils, uh, with, olive, with, olive, with olives, and instead of going with olive oil, I would go with avocados, and instead of going with avocado oil, I would, I would be cautious when it comes to consuming fat and put fat in my system. And I notice the more cautious I am, the better I'm, I'm teaching my genes how to react to it, and this is how I'm changing slowly my genes into becoming better. Am I going to change my E from E1 to E4 to E3? The question is, does it really matter? The answer is, as long as my blood work is good, I don't really care what my gene called. So 80%, of the gene expression is dependent on environment. If you change the environment, you will change your gene expression. If you did that by time, you could really change your genes. And this is why when people reintroduce things that was causing them harm in the past, they're no longer causing that same harm. Where the idea of peanuts I just shared with you is. So it is possible to control and change the gene, the genes. Yeah. The genetic suppression is what we need to focus on. And you change this genetic suppression, you need to change the environment. The change, changing the environment means changing the food you eat. If your eyes get hurt by a lot of direct light, then change the environment. How to change the environment? You wear sunglasses. 
Now I change the environment. Now the light that comes into my eyes are, is different. That's how you change the environment. So you can change the environment. You have low vitamin D, you go out for a walk every day, you've got some exposure, you have some supplements in your system, you've got vitamin D back on track, that means you change the environment. So changing the environment is super easy. So from a digestion point of view, if you wanna change the environment, eat different food. That will help you change the environment. Would intermittent fasting fall into changing the environment because this is, has become such a huge thing in this world lately. Um, the only thing that I, I have a problem, actually, I'll let you answer that before I, we get into that. I would love to hear you. No, no, go ahead. Um, people have a tendency of doing this every single day. And when you do something every single day, it becomes routine and your body will adapt to that new routine and it will become complacent and it will create this new environment. And like you said earlier, the body has a tendency of being lazy. It loves being lazy. So me personally, what I like to do is because my fast is coming up very shortly is we don't do an intermittent fast. We do, we become vegan for 50 days, but I like to throw in intermittent fasting during this fast, like maybe like Wednesdays and Fridays, just to, you know, change up, change it up a little bit. I want to hear your thoughts a little bit more on this new trend that everybody's doing every single day of intermittent fasting. I really love this question. I'm not quite sure if a lot of people would love me when I answer this question. But you and I, we both exercise fasting and we've been exercising fasting for a long time. So for me, that was a new thing. This is something I do when I was five. And when I do it, I do it the hard way. I do it dry fast. The Ramadan fast is a dry fast, which is like nothing, no water too. So now we need to think of our system and to think of the recovery idea. When I'm tired, I feel I wanna to go to bed. I go to bed, I wake up completely refreshed and I feel I can go tackle another day. So let's just go to a person, let's just visualize a person right now who is morbidly obese, watching a movie with a big bag of chips and Coke and all these different things that we always see when we go to a movie. And this person keep watching and keep eating, keep watching and keep eating, keep watching and keep eating. By the end of this movie, this guy is completely full, super tired, cannot really move apart. And guess what happened? They sleep on the couch. They can't even walk into their bed. So what happened in, in, in the physiology reaction to what this guy was doing to his system? His system said, I am created to keep this guy alive. This guy is killing himself by eating this food. I'm gonna shut this guy down. Unplug this guy so we can work in cleaning the system. That's what you're, that is what happening in your system. So this guy cannot even walk to his bed they go sleep on that, on that sofa when they were watching a movie. 
and some people will actually sleep in the movie. We can't finish it off. They're sleeping. Okay. So what happens is simply your system is taking control. This is why it is good that we have subconscious mind. It is not a bad thing. You just need to know how to work it. Your subconscious mind is designed to save you, to keep you alive. Even if you're eating to harm yourself or even if you're not eating to harm yourself. And fast could be considered like this if you become crazy doing it and you were sold in the idea that fast is good for you. So, when you unplug yourself or when your system unplug you, your system take control, start cleaning, take all those toxins out and get all those antioxidant, uh, all those free radicals out from your system. And that's how you're gonna feel fresh when you wake up in the morning. Intermittent fasting, do the same thing for your digestive system when you put your digestive system in a break. So you start consuming food or you're drinking water. You're giving your system a time that you give your system, your digestive system a break. So your digestive system feel relaxed and everything is good to go. And then when you go reintroduce food into your system, you feel better because you get new cells that get developed. You've got some epithelial tissue that got developed. You've got leaky gut that was causing problems by maybe some certain chemicals in the food that you have eaten. And this is no longer in the system for longer time. So you've got, you've got good time to rebuild your digestive system. And when you rebuild your digestive system, you've got new walls, you've got new things. You're gonna get better absorption, better metabolism, and better forgiveness for problems. Your system is always forgiving. But the older we get, the more sensitive we get. So when we were young, doing all these bad things, we feel no problem. I mean, the blood work is good and I'm junking food. Oh, no problem. Okay. But simply your system is forgiving and your system is doing the job but you're causing harm for your system. Then when you get older, guess what? Now you're gonna pay it back because your system is saying enough is enough. See, so for thinking of the genetics idea and you've been treating your system nicely when you were young, but I was not treating my system nicely when I was young. When we get older, you look at me getting medications and things and we are as old as each other and you have no problems and you feel like, oh, poor this guy, he got bad genes. Maybe I've been treating my system poorly when I was young and I actually made a very good environment for my bad genes to suppress itself. And this is why I am on medication and you're not. The good news is your system is forgiving and can rebuild itself. So once I go back on good meal plans and, and healthy diet and healthy lifestyle, then I will be better. So let's just think of fasting the same way. Now you wanna go with intermittent fasting. Now I tell you, it is simply a break you're giving to your system so your system can rebuild itself. And the, the, the realistic it is, the better it is for you. 
So when you tell me I'm going to go for 24-hour fast, I would say, no way. I'm not a big fan of that. And I do not believe it. And I do not recommend it. So let's just, because I've heard that in a lot of podcasts, when people are saying this, the more you starve your fruit, the more you starve your wine or your grapes, the better it is, the ingredients. Yeah, because simply you get no water. It's, it's super simple. If you get two tablespoons of sugar and you put it on a 300 milliliter cup, it would taste less sugary if you put those two tablespoons full of sugar on a very small tiny cup. That's how fasting it is. If you decided to fast your fruit or decided to fast your, your, your produce before you cut it, you will see more ingredients, more of the juice, more of the good things because less water in it. That's super simple. So that doesn't mean fasting is necessarily a good thing because you're taking this water out or you're taking less ingredients in. Your system is going to work. And there are something we call it essential amino acids and essential fatty acids. What the word essential means your system cannot, cannot produce it. For example, the omega-3 oil, we cannot produce it. We have to take it from the environment. We have to take it in our food so we could have omega-3 oil. So when we eat fish, we get this omega-3 oil and that's simply how we get those essential amino acids. So if you decided to fast, from omega-3, what's gonna happen? You're gonna feel symptoms that are correlated with deficiencies in omega-3. Fasting would do the same thing. So you wanna be careful when you do fast. So if you wanna do fast with your 50 days fast, the good thing is I would recommend you to stop eating from 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. in the morning. So, which is probably two to three hours before you go to bed. So you're going to bed with a good empty stomach. So you've got good dreams. You've got low heart rate while you're sleeping. You've got good heart rate variability when you wake up. Your system is functioning very well. And you go through those cycles of sleep. You go to the deep sleep nicely by 2 a.m. And you have a good dream sleep. And you have a very good restful night if you decided to do fast this way which is from 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. You do not want to tell your system, I am on a problem, because the moment your system figured out, which is something I experienced in Ramadan, the moment your system figured out you're doing something that is weird, your system will figure out the solution for it. So when I go weird fasting Ramadan, first two weeks, I lose weight. Then the third week, guess what? I fast even more because the sunlight is going more, right? But I actually sometimes gain weight. Why? Because guys, my system figured it out. My system right now know what I do. Okay, I'm going to wait this guy. And once this guy keep eating again, I'm going to get all that food and I'll save it. And that's simply what, my, what happened. So you do not, you need to work in harmony with your system. You will never, and no one will, and believe me when I say this is in my belief system. So I don't really care what kind of research is going, out, or is going on out there. You will never, ever be able to actually force your system to do what you want. 
people live in the Mex in, in the Eskimos when it was like cold for the human being to survive, but they survived not because they're smart. It's just because their system taught them how to do it. That's interesting that you said, and you bring up two actually really interesting points. Now, I'm not, I'm, I don't want to push this towards religion or anything, but um, the way I was brought up is uh, if somebody comes to you and says, if you're okay to go to the washroom and wash your face with water. So it's basically, it's basically the same thing that you're trying to say is like, don't tell yourself that you're doing the fast, just do it naturally. The, the other point that I actually want to talk about was uh, geolocation. And you just you brought it up with the Eskimos. And uh, Dr. Dr. Weston A. Price was uh, a, a orthodontist that actually went to different locations around the world to figure out, uh, you know, why, you know, in America they have like poor teeth when they have, you know, uh, extreme amounts of, you know, high-end high, high end, uh, dentistry available. They have poor teeth in, in America, but like in places like in Nunavut, they have like full-blown, like healthy teeth. It's, it was actually because, like you said, they haven't been pulled out of there and their genes are specifically tailored to that environment. And they are in an environment that will express this gene to be alive and to be very active, which is similar to those guys who, let's say, there are some certain different types of work that will create different skills. So if you are a construction worker and you go work on your knees every day, every day working on your knees and working in your hands, when you go shake hands with this person, you will feel they have a bigger and thicker hands. Is it because of their genes? Why have a thicker hand if I work in construction and you are, let's say my brother or sister and you still have thinner hands? I got my genes suppressed to match with the work I'm doing. So I did actually changed my genes to the better for my work. This is exactly when those guys in the Nunavut, they live in an environment, they have a lifestyle, let's say, maybe eating different types of food because what is accessible to them is different than what is accessible to you. What, you, what is accessible to you in Canada is different than what is accessible to you in Greece, let's say. And that will create new genes that will reshape your genes and how you how you would look and how you would feel and maybe how you would think as well, because it's all chemicals. So this is a very good um, um, explanation for how you change your genes. The, 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 place, the, the, the place where you are will change the food, will change the environment and will have different genes get expressed and different genes get um, de-expressed or uh, diminished, which is something, which is simply the same. What what really describe this could be like we could we could borrow the neurologist idea when they say neurons that fires together wires together, and you're using those neuromodulators to do that. 
And when that would that would be the same when you fly somewhere else, you are in a different environment, you are in a different zone, in different region, you're eating different food. And that would be a good recipe to change your genes just to match with the new environment. I used to live in Winnipeg. When I came to live in London, Ontario, I remember three uh, winters ago, people were wearing, I was like, I was really surprised why people wearing thick jackets that I wear in minus 45 in Winnipeg. And I remember in that particular winter, I was just wearing my fleece jacket. And that was the only thing. And I remember the, I remember my thoughts at that time. I said, I don't think I need to buy any jacket in this city, period. I bought one this year. What that means is I changed <laughs> my jeans. Now I'm now I'm like to those Manitoban guys, I've become a whim. <laughs> I'm not tolerated that weather anymore. So why? It just I'm in a different region, different geography, exposed to different environment, maybe even eating different things. So I'm changed. You uh, brought up something. You've been coming up to something really interesting throughout this whole uh, uh, conversation. Um, the E1, the E2, the E3 spectrum. This is actually really new to me. I never heard of this. And I'd like to get a little bit more input on that. And is it possible for somebody to go from an E4 to, let's say, an E3 to an E2? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a very good question. To be completely honest, I, I, I do not know. And I do not really, like from my background, <clears throat> I did not do enough research on that. I would love to do more research on that, ask uh, some people about that. But I don't think this is something that is easy for us to change. I think this is something that is encrypted in our genome on the genome level. But what you can do, you can just stop this gene from working. It's not gonna be working. It's like you have an option in your car and this option is not working. Let's say I have a Bluetooth in my vehicle and I can, make, I can connect my phone, but I do not connect my phone. So it doesn't really matter if this gene is available or not. It doesn't really matter if this Bluetooth is a very top-notch, high-tech, recent Bluetooth connectivity software, or if it's an old software that when I started to connect my phone with it, I'll have hard time. It doesn't really matter to me because I do not use it. This is how you need to look at things. It, is it really important to figure out if, if, if I'm E1 or E2 or E3 or E4? It will be data. Whether to use it or not, that's another question. But what you really want to do from a, bio, from a biology standpoint is you need to have your system work in harmony. And the, bit, the, the, the healthiest the food you eat, the more natural the food that you consume, the less processed food you consume, the less you are experiencing all these bad things. When you look 
here, here is what I tell my customers when, when they want to know, when they finish their programs and they lost their weight and they are in a very good shape and, and they want to be, they're going to go on their own. And they're asking me what the things that you recommend us to do. I would tell them when you go shop for food, read the ingredients. Do not really care for the labels. The labels is good, but look at the ingredients first. If you looked at the ingredients and you found you there are more than four ingredients in this package, just leave it alone. Because all those different chemicals, you do not know what's going to happen in your system when you consume it. In pharmacy, there is something they call a drug-drug interaction. Good pharmacists need to understand when they look at that prescription, if there is any drug interaction that might happen that will cause harm for this person. And this is what they study at university. The doctors know that. Doctors study that as well. But this is the pharmacy job. So doctors could give you two, three prescription, two, three medication in your prescription. And the pharmacists want to reassure this is really good and it will work together or they need to, com to communicate with your doctor and get some knowledge and some updates into your prescription. So when you think of this guy who is a nutritionist working for a, for a, for a food company and they're thinking of how can, I, how can I get it taste good? How can I get it juicy? How can I get it uh, in a flavor that will make you feel you're drinking real orange juice, let's say, for example. This is what they think about it. If those going to interact together and cause any anything in your system, it's not going to be your, their priority. They, they need to make sure if it's going to be good to go. It's going to be easy to be consumed. But it's chemicals at the end of the day, and you don't know what's going to happen inside. What kind of reactions take place? What kind of impact of it on your brain? What kind of impact of it in your health? So the more natural you go in your food selection, the better it is. That's that's my that's my opinion. Uh, we're going to switch gears a little bit, and we're going to talk about something uh, that I've actually been having a hard time with uh, for a very long time, which is uh, measuring lifestyle and trans and lifestyle transformation. Like I said, like I've been fighting with this for years. So what's the most effective way for you to measure something like the lifestyle? Thank you for this question. I really appreciate it. So let's just make it simple, John, again. When we do this, this podcast together, do you feel you're happy enjoying the time? Do you feel you served some people, giving them information that may cause the life to be better? What that, you, what that make you feel, John? It makes me feel happy. It makes me feel satisfied. And it makes me feel like I've uh, given back to the world. So that's number one. Number two, let's say if I told you, John, when you have omega-3 oil in your system, you're actually serve your system to be healthier in brain function and you will feel good and your memory will be better. If I told you when you go for a walk 30 minutes a day, that will improve your brain function, you would enlarge your hippocampus, will improve your short and long-term memory, 
And when you become in your ages, you will have as good memory as you when you are in 50s, let's say, for example. Would you do it? Oh, absolutely. Would that make you feel healthy? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Beautiful. So if I told you, John, another question, what is um, your organs that is working is functioning at its best? And in order to get your joints and muscles and bones in a good shape, you need to make sure that you have some physical routines in the equation to get your muscles not in atrophy when you grow up. That's the difference. When you become in your 60s, you've got this six packs and there are people in their 60s, they feel they look different. So in order to keep your muscles and your bones in shape, you need to work it out. Get your joints working, get your body moving, get your muscles working, because when these organs are working, when these tissues are working, they are at its best. Would you do that? You're talking to a personal trainer, so yes, <laughs> absolutely. So in my opinion, these are the three pillars you need to be aware of your healthy lifestyle, your active lifestyle, and your happy lifestyle. If you're not happy about it, you're not going to do it. If you don't feel when you work out, you get your muscles toned and you've got your strength in place and your backbone is working very well and your posture is very good like any young people, you'll feel happy about it. Then you will do it. When you eat healthy and you feel after this nice salmon and salad uh, food, you, you feel your mood is really good and you've got activity and you've got healthy, you've got energy, your, your digestive system is thanking you, then you will do it. So this is how I would measure my lifestyle. The word lifestyle is a word that is really a good word, but a lot of people doesn't really understand it. And the reason why people does not understand it is super easy because you've got two different parts, part that you can control and part that you cannot control. The part that you cannot control is the fact that you're not living alone. You live with people, you live in an environment, you live in a country. Now we are in a lockdown situation. Can you control that? No, you can't. But there are some certain levels of control is your hand, which is what you can control. And this is what you need to focus on. You need to understand that there are things that you can't control and there are things that you can't control. If you can analyze the things that you can control, then you could come up with a solution so you maintain what you can control. For example, I'm a swimmer. Did not swim for probably two months now. It's locked down. There is no swimming pool open. Everything, everything is frozen. I cannot swim. So the question is why I swim? Well, it's my favorite sport. It's my favorite stress reliever. And it's one of the things I do to measure my active lifestyle. So I go swim two to three times a week. And when I go swim, I swim for an hour nonstop. Okay. When I was doing this, I was going for a walk only for 30 minutes a day. 
to get my sunlight exposure, to go for a walk and, and to maintain my hippocampus and all these things. Now, I do not swim, okay? What should I do? Should I come up with an alternative to swimming so I can maintain my active lifestyle? And what I am doing is something to actually counteract the fact that I am locked down and this is something I cannot control. So I'm in Ramadan, I have to fast. And this is my healthy meal plans without Ramadan. And I know if I'm fasting a lot, I need to get something that will stay in my tummy for a longer time. I need to eat something healthy. And I don't know if you did experience this dry fast or not, but when you are on a dry fast for 16 hours and you go shopping, guess what? You're going to buy everything you have <laughs> because you're feeling going to eat all. So when you know that, then this is why I go on keto on Ramadan because I need something that will actually get my mood in balance, get my cognitive function working. When I wake up in the morning, I have good energy and I do not really need to eat. And this is why keto goes hands in hands with fasting. I'll be completely honest with you. I think people on keto recommend fasting because they want to cut the window of food. Because when you eat fat, you consume a lot of calories. And the only thing that would guarantee you not to consume a lot of calories is just put that guy on a fast. <laughs> so I'm not going to eat so I can control the caloric intake you're consuming during the window that you're eating in. It makes a lot of sense. It's all is going to be converted into calories. And your calorie requirements are changing by age and by sex. So there is no way out of it. If you are consuming more calories, you're going to gain weight. Whether you are in keto or you are in whatever that thing is, if you are consuming more calories, you're going to gain weight, period. The problem is with the keto guys, they do not want to limit your quantities. <laughs> so <laughs> how are they going to do it? Put them in fast. <laughs> so I told you, people are not going to like me when I say that about fasting, but... <laughs> How can I put them in fast? Well, tell them fast is good. <laughs> so, so conclusion is I'm changing my healthy diet to match with the lifestyle I'm in. So if I'm doing fast, I'm going to go into keto. If I'm not doing fast and I'm going to go for a walk with John, John is bringing some good drinks and he told me to give it a try. And I'm a, I am on keto. I cannot do it it's not going to be convenient then i need to shift gears a little bit so i've got those three things the active lifestyle the healthy lifestyle and the happy lifestyle and how can i maintain it and how can i measure it is by assigning four things you need to do in each lifestyle so you can track it what you can track you can change what you cannot track you cannot change so if I'm doing, I'm going to meet with someone like Sam to make sure this person is giving valuable information for my audience. I want to offer good knowledge to my audience so I help them change their lives to the better. And this is what I do that, and that makes me happy. And I'm going to do one interview a week. By doing this, you're measuring something that you do to maintain your happy lifestyle. I'm happy when I do that. 
So you do it. Two, I'm going to go do something for my community. I have a Greek community in Toronto. I'm going to do something good for those guys. I'm going to go pick up a phone, call those guys and tell them if they need any help, I can offer help. I've got those two hours window every Saturday or every Sunday or every whatever that day is. And I'm going to make myself available to help those guys with a fitness coaching program. You do that for your community. Now you check this box off. Three, I'm going to have a healthy lifestyle, happy lifestyle with my wife. I'm going to assign a date time every week to go out with my wife for um, a, um, a, a nice walk or for going to Tim Hortons together or Starbucks together or do some certain types of activity that we do together to keep that bond together and keep, keep it refreshed. You do that, you put it in your calendar, you check it off, then I'm doing a third thing for my happy lifestyle. I will do this time for my kids. I'll do a, a daughter dad day to keep that relationship. So you check all these boxes. You know you have all these boxes in the week. Those are four things that you do to keep and maintain your active, your happy lifestyle. And you know what you are doing, you're doing it to make yourself happy. So you're not doing a favor of me for me. You're doing a favor for yourself. And this is how you measure it. I go to swim, I go to play soccer, I go for a walk. I do breathing exercise, I do waist circumference exercise every day, and I do 10 minutes yoga every day. When I do that, I know I'm an active person and this is how I keep my active lifestyle. I do not eat junk food, I do not eat a lot of processed food, I do not consume more than three cups of full cream milk a week, and those are the things I have put down to make sure I'm eating healthy. I'm taking my supplements, I'm taking all these different measures that I do to make sure I'm healthy. When I do that, I'm measuring my healthy lifestyle. What you measure, what you track, you can improve and you can change. So simply, this is how I do it. I break it down in three steps and uh, three pillars. And under each one of these pillars, I have four different activities. I need to do a check mark on it so I can make sure I'm maintaining this lifestyle. And I have in the background, there is something that I cannot change, which is the environment. I need to make sure when I do that, when I have this thing, then I need to stretch it a little bit. So I maintain the pillars I have. That's awesome. And these are your three pillars of transformation that uh, people can find at your website, which I will post the links for the website and access to the three pillars uh, with the show notes. Uh, have do you have you named these three pillars? Can you talk a little bit? Do you want to talk any more about the three pillars of transformation? The three pillars of transformation; it, 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 those are the the happy lifestyle, the active lifestyle, and the healthy lifestyle. And the person who want to transform himself or herself, they need to to make sure that all these different lifestyles are attained and met and measured. How did you come up with this? How did you come around this? That, that I created this in my own. I mean, I don't know. I mean, that this is my passion. My passion is to help people achieve their goals. And when I decided to, to leave my last job, I wanted to do something I'm really passionate about. I had really hard time, someone to help me change because I was in a really miserable situation in my previous job. And I was like, okay, I need to do it myself. And this is how I did it the, the hard way. I learned. 
I went to a lot of people so I can lose weight and no one succeeded to do that. And I said, okay, I have enough background to actually pull it together. together. So instead of giving money to someone who is not going to do me anything, I would learn myself. And if I can change myself, then I would dedicate my life to do that, to help others. <clears throat> so I changed myself. And that's, that's how this all came together. I took Wim Hof course. I took meditation course. I took a lot of different courses because I was working on myself. I did not do it to to help others. I did it to actually take myself out of what I've been going through. I love it. I think that's, I think that's great. Um, I think that's amazing. Thank you. And, and like I said, like uh, I will post, uh, I'll post all your links with the show notes below. Uh, we are going to be wrapping up the show just in just a little while. And I ask all my guests the same six or seven questions just to get their idea behind of uh, what's going on with everything. So with the increase in people suffering from depression, from the lockdowns and open up and all this uncertainty in this world, what's the one thing that you could tell them to keep their hopes up? It is my advice. <clears throat> it's meditation but it's it's different meditation and i will so when, when you go to a doctor and the doctor decided that the symptoms you have are typical to depression and the doctor tell you hey you know what i think you're having some sort of depression and i need to put you on medication you you, you know these symptoms and you probably know that you're not liking it and you're probably gonna say, okay, if this is what my doctor tells me, then I need to take this medication. So you take this medi 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 medication, right? So how you take the, medi the medication would, 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 would describe whether you will take the benefits of this medication or not. So if your doctor told you you need to take a pill a day, so you need to be consistent taking it every day. If you do not take it every day, you're not gonna experience the benefits of this medication. It's a common, like we all know that. The problem with meditation is a lot of people know it is good for them, but they do not do it. And again, the reason why they do not do it, not because they're bad, it's just because maybe it is not convenient. So let's just think of meditation and why people are saying meditation is good for you and why those people who are practicing it, they're saying the same thing. It's just because you've got two neuromodulators. You've got the dopamine and you've got the serotonin. The dopamine will make you feel joy will make you feel motivated from something that you have accomplished from the outside world. So when you go, tell yourself, I'm gonna go for a, um, a five miles run. When you finish running, you feel, oh my God, I've done it. And you feel super happy, this joy is dopamine. Serotonin, is opposite. 
serotonin is satisfaction from the inside world. So if you did that and you have done an action that will give you this satisfaction accomplished, you would release serotonin on your own. You're not going to eat dopamine. You're not going to drink serotonin. You, your system producing it. So what you need to do, you need to do an action that will get those dopamine levels and serotonin levels increased a little bit. So there are foods that would help you increase serotonin. The exercises would help you increase dopamine, but also you can do it by meditation. So how do you do it by meditation? When you go, when I took a meditation course, they used to tell me there is a mantra that you need to do. You need to teach yourself how to sit still, how to focus on breathing, and you need to actually have a mantra that you keep saying to remind yourself not to get distracted because we all have this monkey brain, okay? Okay. I did not believe that I can have a word that I have no meaning to, to keep myself on track. Did not believe in that. So I came up with two mantras. One of them will help me boost my dopamine. And one of them would help me boost my serotonin. And the monkey brain is inside your brain. So how can I control this guy? Well, I cannot control it for sure. But what you, can, and what you can do, you can ask this monkey brain to focus on something. So it's like we all are playing soccer and the bell rang and we are back into our classrooms and we are taking a math class. So we, are, we will be focusing on math. Outside the math classroom, we were monkeys doing everything. So the only thing you need to do is put your monkey brain in a classroom. The first mantra is, I'm thankful. The second mantra is, I'm grateful. And when you further down talk to those meditation guys, they tell you, you, you would learn how to sit still, you would learn how to focus on your breathing, and you would learn how to connect and how you go to the magnetic field, how to connect with the divine matter, whatever that thing is. So, okay. So now I know I want to be thankful. And when you say thankful, you remind yourself, which is your classroom, you remind yourself with the things that you have accomplished and you're thankful for it because others did not accomplish what you have accomplished. You take a deep breath, then you're bringing your awareness to your breathing. You're bringing your awareness to the movement of your lungs and all these things. And that's how you focus. When you think how your brain works, sensation, perception, and then feelings, thoughts, and actions. So regardless of all those details, let's just talk about the meditation part. So I asked those guys to sit on a comfortable place comfortable seat in a zone in their homes that they consider a comfortable zone for themselves for only two minutes to five minutes four times a day 
So it's not that hard. It's just two minutes. You take a break. We all take a break, but you need to be consistent doing it. And it's not going to long. It's it's not long time because when the longest the time, the harder the commitment. So if you sit still for two minutes on your comfortable place to relax and take a couple deep breaths, and I will teach them the, the breathing exercise that you do to lower your heart rate so you're putting yourself in a relaxed mood. And I call it two one, which is two inhale, and uh, which is one inhale, two exhale. Like if you wanna do it four, like you're gonna go four, four inhale and eight exhale. That will lower your blood pressure and, and, and heart rate. So you do that a couple of times, and then you focus on your breath and you're bringing this mantra, I'm thankful. And you remember, I'm thankful I'm, I have a job. I'm thankful I have money in my bank. I'm thankful I'm paying my mortgage and my bills. I'm thankful I have a, a couple of cars or two cars or, or a fancy car or a, a fancy house. And you keep, you say that. And when you close your eyes and you say that, now you're controlling your monkey brain. You put it in a classroom that you are thankful for the things that you have accomplished from the outside world. When you do that, you're boosting your dopamine. Then you say, I'm grateful. I'm grateful there's another class. You're grateful for the, for the things that you were giving from the inside out that a lot of people does not have. So I'm grateful that I can talk. A lot of people cannot talk. I'm grateful that I can breathe. A lot of people cannot breathe. I'm grateful that my heart is, is working, working efficiently 24 seven. I have no problem with my heart. A lot of people does. And these are the things that you should be grateful for. I'm grateful that I have arms and I have legs and I can walk and I can breathe. I have back bone. It's working very good. I'm grateful that I'm in a good shape. I'm grateful my skin is good. Those are the things that you are grateful for. I'm grateful that I live in a safe environment. A lot of people are not living in a safe environment. Those are the things that you are grateful for. When you say that, you feel you are satisfied. When you do those two things, when you feel you've accomplished something, you're increasing your dopamine. When you feel you are satisfied, because once you repeat this exercise, you feel it. Did you feel it when I was just talking about it and now? You probably felt it. So when you feel that, John, you increase your serotonin, you increase your dopamine, you do that four times a day, two minutes each time, that will improve your uh, your uh, your stress levels significantly, and you will be much happier, and you would reduce depression. That's awesome. Uh, and yes, I did feel it when you were talking about it. Sorry, I just had a little bit of a thing with my uh, camera there. <laughs> so, in in your question, if that did answer your question, please let me know. But we are in a lockdown right now, right? So you know what, John. I'm grateful that I do this work together with you and I help people with the knowledge I have to change their lives and feel better. I'm grateful right now that I have a job and I'm working and I have money and I can pay my bills. I'm not with the vulnerable group and I'm in a healthy situation right now. A lot of people are not. I came to Canada in 2008. It was financial crisis. I was having a hard time to find a job Right now, I'm, I'm, I'm in a completely different place. I'm in a completely different situation. A lot of people have lost their jobs. A lot of people have lost their careers. A lot of businesses have shut down. And I am in a very good place and situation. I am super grateful. That's awesome. 
I know some people who have lost their lives over this. I know those too. So lockdown is bad. Guess what? I'm lucky that I'm still alive. I do not have COVID and I'm lucky. So I'm, I'm giving back. Awesome. That's great. Uh, where do you see pinnacle health and nutrition in the next five years? I need to make sure this message has been delivered to the masses because it is not hard. People doesn't just really need to lose weight. When you think of it as a weight loss, I have the weight loss terminology in it because this is how people usually express their sadness and express their need to transform themselves. I always tell people, if your lifestyle have been helping you, you probably are not in a obesity situation and you do not really need help. So they don't really need a program to lose weight. What they really need more to have a program that will transform themselves to the better. I'm not a big fan of giving you a prescription that when you follow it, you succeed. And when you stop following it, you're gonna go back onto your old habit. The moment you jump on a weight loss program, you're telling yourself, this is my mission for the coming few months. And after that, I'm gonna go back to normal. Which is why in my opinion, 90% of those people who are on a weight loss program, they gain that weight back again. If you do not wanna gain it back again, you need to understand it is your life that you're changing and you're changing it to the better. So what you are eating right now is the healthy food that you need to follow for the rest of your life. You need to forget those food that cause you more harm than good. And you need to know that those food that you lost, you did not lose it because you love it. You lost it because it is not good, but you loved it because you used to eat it. That's awesome. What about you personally? Where do you see yourself in the next five years? Next five years, I'm running my business uh, and, uh, and, and I'm, I'm actually giving the world as much, much more than just a lifestyle program. Maybe we could build a transformation YMCA where people doesn't just go to just do their exercises on their own. No, they have a program. And instead of putting you in a swimming program, I'll put you in a life transformation program and get the masses joining, doing this, you know? It, 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 I think it is good to understand that what you are eating should be a healthy food and move on, have a lot of healthy food stores opened, a lot of smoothie uh, food uh, stores opened. Um, it, all these healthy options are accessible, like all these junky food options. Why not? That's awesome. If you could pick up the phone right now and call yourself at 20 years old, what would you tell yourself? Hire a coach. Hire a coach to. Hey, this is what I tell my customers. And I say that from the bottom of my heart. If you look at those successful players, soccer player or a rugby player or a basketball player, if you're if you're looking at those guys, if you're thinking of Michael Jordan or Mohamed Salah or Ronaldo or Messi or all those guys. They know how to play, but they have coaches. Why? 
because they see the value in themselves. And we all have that, but not all of us see that. So if you really wanna go to the next level, you need to make sure that you are investing in yourself because if you are investing yourself, you're actually succeeded big time. Like I remember before university and after university, how much I was making and how much I'm making right now. The only difference is I was investing four years in my, in my life in myself. If I can keep that investment running since graduation, eat healthy, be on top of my game, keep my confidence up and running, learn all the different tactics to tackle life. We all live the same day, the same number of hours. The difference between me and the most successful person is a coach that keep him aligned. Those guys who know what their value is because they're getting a lot of money, they, they know the, the, themselves and they know the value they offer, they're going to they're gonna do whatever it takes to keep that position. And this is why they're doing it. So if you're asking a soccer player, do you know how to play soccer? He's going to tell you, absolutely. What if you're asking the best soccer player on earth? They have coaches. I do not, but I know how to play soccer. And that's simply the difference. People know them. They do not know me. So that would be my advice. Uh, looking back, would you change anything? Oh, yeah. I would probably start this 20 years ago. Because my passion is helping people achieve their goals. And I was in the corporate world. Succeeded big time in the corporate world. But I was giving my passion to corporate. I would love to give it to you, to me, to my family, to my neighbors, those guys who deserve it the most. Because I'm, I'm a people person. I love people. I believe people are the reason for the good change and the reason for the bad change. So I better help people to be better. That's amazing. Um, what keeps you up at night? Nothing. Do my meditation and relax and sleep. And I'm focusing on making sure I take my seven to eight hours of sleep every night. So I can't, <laughs> nothing will keep, nothing should keep me up at night, my friend. <laughs> so that's great. That's great. Uh, where can people find more about you? Well, they could, uh, they could visit my website. They could call me on my phone or send me an email if they want. Um, um, yeah, I mean, they can find me on the website. I just finished my first uh, course and I'm working on my second one. If they wanna, if they wanna give it a try, I've created this course. Uh, they call it uh, pre-diabetes reverser course for those guys who are pre-diabetic and they wanna reverse pre-diabetes. It's a two weeks course, but I look at it as a better solution than YouTube videos. Do something good for yourself. That's amazing. And again, I am going to post all your links to with the show notes so that people have easy access to you and your programs. Um, any final thoughts? Well, I want to thank you very much, John. I think what you are doing to the world is amazing. And uh, if there is anything I can do to help you out, go to the masses, I will do it. Um, 
And it, it shouldn't be something that is crazy. Just let me know anything, man. Small minor changes will will add up and will lead to a massive uh, transformation, I think, in my opinion. So um, keep going, uh, doing do what you're doing. And uh, I wish you good luck in, in, in your show and your career. And uh, yeah, and thank you for those guys who listened to me. If you loved what I said, I'm happy that you loved it. If you did not love it, I apologize, but I was just trying to be myself. <laughs> no apologies necessary, Sammy. I appreciate you for everything that you do and for all the knowledge that you have and that you're sharing with everybody. Um, you know, you're gonna, one person's gonna like you, one person's gonna hate you, and the other person's gonna be on the fence. So that's it's just the way the world is, right? Yep. So again, I appreciate you for all the hard work and all the research that you've done and uh, putting these amazing programs together. Uh, I am gonna be sharing with this for, for everybody to get access to it. And I highly, highly recommend people taking a look. Thank you. Going through hard times is just a test. What you need to know is that when you get out of whatever you're going through, you will be stronger than ever before and you don't need to go through it alone. Always know that you are not alone. Stay tuned for more real people with amazing stories that are just like yours. Until then, to everyone out there listening, I wish you a good morning, good afternoon, or good night wherever you may be in this crazy world. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share this with your friends and family members. If you know of someone who is suffering from depression, please share this with them as well, as it may help them realize that there is help out there and that they are not alone. Also, please be so kind and give us a five-star rating on wherever you may be listening and some comments as your feedback is highly appreciated. Thank you again for supporting our mission to speak out and find solutions about men's mental health issues and stay tuned for more amazing stories from real people that are just like you.